0: Are indeed many things for which we have to be so thankful. The things physically, Brother Gary mentioned earlier, I know, again, storms rolled through our area last evening and caused quite a bit of damage in many ways, but as far as we know, all the people, of course, are well, and we're so thankful for, for that to be said this morning. But certainly, let's keep in prayer and in mind those who are struggling with difficulties in light of the damage that may have been caused by those storms. Let me also take just a moment uh, to make a brief uh, announcement. Again, as you're probably aware, uh, the gospel meeting season is very strongly underway. We've enjoyed our gospel meeting here a few weeks ago. Uh, The Buffalo Valley Church of Christ, located, of course, just uh, on Buffalo Valley Road over near the edge of the counties, having a gospel meeting starting one week from today, June the 4th, and continuing until Wednesday of that week. They've asked myself, yours truly, to be the preacher, and so I'd ask your prayers to be with me and with the entirety of that gospel meeting starting a week from today. Our elders already well aware and made their arrangements to take care of the speakers, of course, for next Sunday, so uh, you'll be in good, good hands to be sure. But if you would, keep us in your prayers, and we'd certainly love to have you come visit with us. And the brethren there, you know many of them, they'd love to be encouraged by you as well. So if you have opportunity, please come and be with us at that Buffalo Valley Gospel meeting. Prayer. I know that it's a subject that, of course, is a very common one in the Bible. Both Old and New Testament, we find so many verses and teachings and principles that relate to it. And I thought, today, we really are going to look at an entirety of that study, both this morning and tonight. So please, if you had not made plans, make plans to be back tonight. It'll be a continuation of this lesson. What might you and I learn about the prayer life of Jesus? As you, at this moment, think about your prayer life, and as I consider my own, it's a very personal question. How is my prayer life, and how is yours? Do you speak to the Father? Do you address Him? Do you, in fact, pray like Jesus did? Well, one of the things we're going to do today is not, in fact, look at the entirety of the Bible's teaching, but our primary thrust is, how did Jesus pray? Wouldn't it be fair to say that since He is the perfect One, whatever was true about His prayer life would be a wonderful example. It would be a powerful, attitudinal way to help you and I to also pray as we should. And so today, again, the morning and evening, we're going to look at a two-part series in which we shall study the features and characteristics of the prayer life of our Lord. And as we do that, let's look at some introductory thoughts, if you would. You'll notice, of course, that the opportunity that's ours to come into a place of worship like this, it allows us to focus some attention and some appreciation on any divine theme. And today, we're going to do that in relation to prayer. You and I realize many things the Bible has to say about that. We, of course, as we look at the way in which Jesus prayed and His teachings about it, we will learn so much. Without any further ado, then, let's turn to the consideration of our next slide in which we shall give occasion of a foundation for that statement I made earlier. Jesus is our perfect example. Now, that's true not only in relation to prayer, but of course in any subject touching his life. But I thought it would be reasonable to in fact embed in our thinking an appreciation of just how sweet, how special, how grand it is to understand the perfectness of our Savior. As you start down that slide with me, our Savior never ever committed a sin. Now... I would submit that probably stretches your mind and mind very, very greatly. Can you imagine sojourning through the entirety of over 30 years of life and never, ever doing something that was wrong? And never, ever saying something that was wrong? And never, ever thinking something that was wrong? Now, as difficult as that may be for you and me to appreciate, remember that was true of Jesus. Hebrews 4.15 affirms for your appreciation and mine, We have not an high priest that cannot be touched with the feeling of our infirmities, but was in all points tempted like as we are yet without sin. With regard to what he said, with regard to the way he said it, with regard to the places he went, with regard even to the thoughts that crossed his mind, there was never a sinful one amongst the group. For that being said, then that means even in relation to his prayer life, he must have never prayed something inappropriate. He must have never prayed in a way that was wrong. And therefore, he serves for you and me as a grand example, even in matters touching prayer. You'll notice as you come to the next thought on that slide, 1 Peter 2.21 specifically says, He is our example. Now, that not only has relationship to matters of dealing with suffering and dealings of difficulties, but may I suggest, He will be a dramatic example even in circumstances touching praying. As you think about the way that you pray, each of us are individuals, and perhaps there's a certain time of the day and a certain circumstance. This series today and tonight is really going to challenge each of us to think very carefully, very quickly about our prayer life. You and I may find that things are amiss. We may find that things need our attention. If so, may we have the urgency and the courage to follow the example of Jesus. The next point on that slide is this. You and I are admonished, in fact, commanded to follow Jesus, to use Him as our example. May I invite you to notice 1 Corinthians 11, 1, wherein Paul said, "'Be ye followers of me, even as I also am of Christ.'" Question, would it be reasonable for you or me to say to some youngster, some young person in the faith, "'You pray like I do.'" Would you have enough courage and confidence in your prayer life that you would feel good about encouraging someone else to pray like you do? To pray as often, as earnestly, With the intensity and direction, Jesus is going to be our example, even as it relates to issues in prayer. Look at some of these verses. Galatians 4.19, Paul wrote to the Galatians and affirmed for them about the fact that Christ was formed in them until Christ be formed in you. The travail that he appreciated in light of their birth in Jesus that little text points out that Paul was so hopeful that in fact they would be made over into the reality of what Jesus would have them become. But not only that, in Philippians 2.5 we are told very clearly, let this mind be in you which was also in Christ Jesus. Therefore the mind that Christ exhibited, the attitude that He displayed, should also be characteristic of us. As you and I add to that Colossians 1.27 till Christ be formed in you, the hope of glory. question is, Christ being formed in you and in me? Is it true that each day the passing of time brings us closer and closer to the image of Christ? If so, our prayer life should mimic His. As you can well tell, many things about the prayer life of Jesus will challenge you and me as we continue. One final verse in 1 John 2, 6 asks us to contemplate the fact that if we beseech of the Father and do so following the pattern and reality of Christ, we have the assurance of God Himself in relation to that matter. It's a fantastic thing to imagine what prayer is all about. That slide closes then as you and I follow the Lamb. We do so with the expectation that if we follow His example, we'll have the privilege of being one day where He now is as we turn our slide to the next to consideration let's then cast a spotlight on prayer so first of all prayer it is a personal address directed unto god a personal address directed unto god you and i know that we speak to one another we use our voice our mouth we're able to write by communication or otherwise That specific means whereby we specifically address God. That's what you and I might recognize and call as prayer. In so doing, you might well notice, and it's a statement that you and I will find so much scriptural evidence for, Jesus Himself was a man of prayer. I might use this particular point to highlight the following. Aren't you a bit amazed... In fact, aren't you a bit fascinated by the fact that Jesus was a person of prayer? After all, He was God. He is the second member of the Godhead. Now, it may be that He was walking here in the flesh, and yet He prayed. Why was it that Jesus was a person of prayer? He could work miracles. He had a fantastic degree of faith, of course. As you and I shall study, the fact that He was a person of prayer highlights the same reasons why you and I should be. And so let's look at number one. The first thing that should be a truism, it should be a fact relative to you and me, if we anticipate a successful prayer life, is this. Conviction. Let's develop that point the following way. What's meant by this word conviction in this context? First of all, for prayer to be effective the one offering, it must be absolutely convinced that there is a God and that He will hear the faithful pleas of His children. Now, if I don't believe that, or if I'm not convinced of that, my prayer is not going to be very effective. Now, how does the Bible illustrate or at least point out this degree of conviction? Look at some of these verses. In Hebrews 11 verse 6, In the chapter that identifies that degree of faith, the apostle, the inspired writer, put forth these words. Amazingly and buoyantly and very wonderfully he said, Without faith it is impossible to please Him. For he that cometh to God must believe that He is, and that He is a rewarder of them that diligently seek Him. I'm sure you noticed it with me. You must believe that He is. And not only that, that He is a rewarder of those that diligently seek Him. Are you convinced with the fullest assurance of your being that He is who He says He is? He is the almighty, awesome ruler of this universe. He does exist. Now I realize there are many in our world, agnostics and infidels and atheists and others, who claim either we don't know He exists, or they're convinced in their own mind that He's not. And so many times, the philosophy of our age wars against this conviction. Do you believe with all of your heart that there is a God and that He hears the pleas of His children? You and I as Christians must be convinced of that. In fact, we are resting the entirety of our eternity upon that truth. You'll notice in James 1 verse number 6, there is something therein stated about those who would question or doubt in relation to their prayer life. Rehearse some of those thoughts with me. James, near the beginning of that book, wrote as follows. He highlighted that a double-minded man is unstable in all his ways. Now notice he prefaced that by saying, If any man lack wisdom, let him ask of God, who giveth to all men liberally and upbraideth not. Now, that sounds very powerful, but notice what's sandwiched between them. For that man that doubteth is like a wave of the sea driven and tossed. Let not that man think that he'll receive anything of the Lord. Now, that statement by the inspired writer, if I'm not convicted, I shouldn't expect God to grant me anything that I've asked. Doesn't that highlight the degree of conviction that must rest within us? the degree of assurance and confidence that must be ours, we as Christians have the fullest reason to trust in God and believe in Him. As we develop that point more thoroughly, again, we're going to use Jesus as our example. Question, was Jesus convicted? When He prayed to God, was He an example of conviction? Well, we know He was. He was God. And furthermore, He had come from heaven, John 17, 4. He knew about the glory and majesty of heaven. He knew about the reality of the Father. Could I call to your attention John chapter 1 verses 1 and following. In the beginning was the Word and the Word was with God and the Word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. With Him was not anything made that was made. Notice this Word was Jesus and it says He was with the Father. You often notice in the prayer life of Jesus a very casual confidence. He knew that God the Father existed. He knew that the Father would answer His pleas, and He knew that the Father would be ever ready to hear. No wonder on the cross He said, Father, forgive them, for they don't know what to do. And on another occasion, He also asserted these words, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? You can hear in those a statement of one absolutely sure of the one to whom He was praying. May you and I have that similar degree of conviction. One last set of thoughts on that relates to the teaching that's given to you and me. In Mark 11 verse 24, Jesus asserted to you and to me as you and I would be individuals of prayer, He taught us rather clearly we must believe in God and have the confidence that He'll give us that which we've requested, if we've asked according to His will. Are you sure of that? Or do we pray often with an element of doubt? Do we pray with an element of, shall we say, uncertainty? Our Lord was a one who prayed with conviction. What about you and me? One last thing on that slide is that degree of conviction should be an aim to which we set our mark, desiring to be convicted of God and that He loves His children. And that if we ask according to His will, He'll grant that. Let's look at the second matter, the second point on our lesson today as we turn the slide. What about dedication? We just added conviction to our understanding, but let's look at a slightly different appreciation I've entitled it Dedication. The development proceeds like this. When you and I look at the way the biblical presentation of prayer is given to us, we find that these individuals who had effective prayer lives, that includes Jesus, were individuals who lived a dedicated life to God. In other words, the prayer was a manifestation of a life of service given over to God. That's what we mean by dedication. And let's develop it using some of these verses. In 1 John chapter 3, verse 22, a passage that is rather direct in its assertion. Let's look at it bit by bit as we appreciate briefly some of the affirmations it makes. 1 John chapter 3, verse 22. It says, And whatsoever we ask, we receive of Him, because we keep His commandments and do those things that are pleasing in His sight. Question, upon what basis do we then receive those things we ask of God? He said "There's because we keep His commandments. If you then or I as a person turn in prayer to God, but we don't have an interest in doing what He says, we do not have interest in following the teachings of the Word, we ought not expect Him to give us what we ask. It says, we receive of Him because we keep His commandments. If my life is not then one of dedication where I seek to do that which is His will, then I ought not anticipate that my prayers will be heard and answered by Him. That's a very challenging thought in many ways, isn't it? Our world labors under the assumption that I can just turn and pray anytime I want, no matter how I lived yesterday or how I shall attempt to live tomorrow. And a verse like this one completely opposes that appreciation. It says, And do those things that are pleasing in His sight, do you and I seek then to live a life of service and obedience to Him? If we do, we appreciate then prayer will be a manifestation of that kind of life. And it says there, whatever we ask, we receive of Him because we keep His commandments. Some additional verses to ask you to consider. Again, with Jesus as our example, don't you find it intriguing that in that passage we just read, it says, we do those things pleasing in His sight. What about Jesus? In John chapter 8, verse number 29, Jesus there Himself said, I always do those things pleasing to the Father. You and I are, of course, admonished to be similar in that that attempt and approach, and if so, then we too will have our prayers happily received by God. This life of dedication, as you'll notice, is not merely only in relation to prayer, but of course it finds itself in discussion in so many other avenues of the Christian life. What if you and I consider Luke 9, 23 for a moment? Wasn't it there that Jesus said, If any man will come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross daily, and follow me. Isn't that a beautiful appreciation that here every day, you and I as Christians seek then to be those who follow Him and come after Him. And in Matthew 6:33, Seek ye first the kingdom of God and His righteousness. All these things should be added to you. Maybe in light of that, we see how prayer fits into this. A life of faithfulness and obedience will find prayer a vital and critical part of it. And that person can then, in conviction and with a dedicated life, appreciate the power in prayer. One last thing, as you'll notice in that section, asks you to consider with me a promise found in the closing chapter of 1 John 5. In verses 14 and 15 of that chapter, would you please briefly consider these matters with me as it relates to this dedication. And this is the confidence that we have in Him, that if we ask anything according to His will, He heareth us. And if we know that He hear us whatever we ask, we know that we have the petitions that we desired of Him. Those are strong words. Again, to consider 1 John 5, verses 14 and following. Notice there's boldness, there's confidence, there's assurance in this. And it relates to prayer by saying, If we ask according to His will, how do you know what God's will is? The only way we know is by His revelation in the Word. And so when we live a life dedicated to that Word, devoted to it, appreciative of it, we understand then that our prayer life and manifestation to that truth will bring us to the next point. We've looked at conviction and now dedication. Let's add something to it. Commitment. Now this one too is something that each of us perhaps can think very strongly about. Commitment as it relates to prayer. Let's start in the following way. Would you agree with me that prayer was a vital part of the life of our Lord? A moment ago, Brother Mike read to us from Mark chapter 1, verse 35. I'm going to invite you to look again at that passage and do so in a way that probably will be very challenging to each of us. This hits all of us, I'm convinced. It really is something to consider. I'm going to ask you to notice it as we again read the language. Now, this is the prayer life of Jesus, Mark chapter 1, verse 35. And in the morning, rising up a great while before day, He went out and departed into a solitary place, and there prayed. Now, the He refers to Jesus. May we ask, what is it that's here described? Jesus got up early and went to a quiet place, and He prayed. Isn't it true there are many reasons why you and I might rise early in the morning? Sometimes things at work are so demanding, I just need to get there early. We might get up early to go fishing. We might get up early to leave on vacation. We might get up early to go to a golf match. You see, there are many reasons we get up early, and we have good appreciation as to why that's done. Have you or I ever gotten up early? for the only reason to pray. Jesus did. And may we suggest that if our Savior, being the second member of the Godhead, had all the capability of miracles and perfect understanding, and yet He felt it necessary to pray, what about me? Do I not need it more than He did? Do I not need it at least as critically as He did? And He got up early to pray. Have you or I ever done that? It's something to think about, isn't it? Not only that, would you notice what, el- what else it additionally says? He rose up a great while before day. He didn't just get up five minutes early. What about two hours early? What about an hour and a half early for the purpose of prayer? I think it's fair to say we know that we live in a society that seems so full. Our demands are so high, the boss wants this, the community needs that. There's something to be done for the children in light of their activities at school. It can become overwhelming. And maybe some would be tempted to say, I don't have time to pray. Our approach ought to be, I'd better get up early and pray, for I'm going to need it today. This day is so full, the demands are so many, and the challenges are so great. Jesus got up early to pray. What a commitment. That development might even lead us to note this. You'll notice it at the bottom. There are a number of admonitions in the Word of God that challenge us along this same line. Would you listen to these with me? Pray without ceasing. 1 Thessalonians 5.17 Paul wasn't telling us in that to be, of course, in prayer 24 hours a day. But question, is your mindset in mind always such that at any moment we might well bow our head for at least a short word of prayer. The needs, the characteristics, the demands and challenges of the day are such that I need God to help me. It's not a bad idea when you're stopped at a red light. Take ten seconds to breathe a word of prayer. When you're waiting in the waiting room for the doctor, the dentist, or some other professional, spend a few moments in prayer. Before you head out for the day, when you come in in the evening, as you think about all these attributes and considerations, you'll notice that that commitment maybe is highlighted in Luke 18.1. Men ought always to pray, Jesus said. Did you note the adverb always? Men ought always to pray and not to faint. The implication is, if I fail to pray, I'm likely to faint. He wasn't talking about a medical condition. He was talking about faithing under the challenges and temptations we face. May you and I be urgent and may we be constant in prayer. One last passage might be Matthew 26, 41. It's one that no doubt has often come to your mind and mine. Jesus was in the Garden of Gethsemane. He knew what was about to occur the next day, but prior to that, remember there were three disciples and they were busy sleeping. Jesus, however, had these things to say. He said, the spirit is indeed willing, but the flesh is weak. Isn't it true? When you and I are gathered in an assembly like this one, things seem right. The Bible is powerful and I'm convinced of it. But what about tomorrow? See, today the spirit's willing, but tomorrow the flesh is likely to be weak. I'm not surrounded by Christian brothers and sisters tomorrow, and I'm not in the midst of a place where the Bible's being read tomorrow. You see, there's something about the urgency and the beauty in the place of prayer. Isn't it fair to say that this point number three leads us to a fourth one? Let's look at point number four, weighty decisions. I think we each know what that means already. As we sojourn through life, we know that there are many decisions that are fairly insignificant and minor, what you have for breakfast tomorrow. But there are also some decisions that are very major. In fact, so significant will they be, they may well determine a significant course in your life and may even have a significant bearing on where you'll spend eternity. Now you know exactly what some of those questions are. I'm dating this boy or girl. Should I think about marrying him or her? The person you marry is likely going to have a strong bearing on where you're going to spend eternity. The gospel invitation has been extended, and I've heard it many times by wondering, should I obey it? Should I become a Christian? May I suggest to you, give some consideration to the matters concerning that. May I also say, those great decisions... This promotion's been offered to me, but it's going to require that I move myself and my family to a different place. The church is weak there. Will that be a good move for me from the perspective of eternity? I might be better off to stay right here with a little less money, but myself and children go to heaven. You See, these are great decisions. And it's not always crystal clear. But may I say, with prayer and a heavy dose of the Word of God, often things become clear. As you and I think about these weighty decisions, note again the example of Jesus. In great decisions, He prayed. In Luke chapter 6 verse 12, Jesus prayed all night long on the night before He selected the apostles. Now consider that with me. There were disciples, perhaps lots of them, and of that group, He was going to pick twelve. Which twelve do I pick? These twelve are going to be the foundation in many ways of the church that's going to be established in a few years, Jesus thought. He knew their work would be critical and He understood that their allegiance would be vital. Who do I select? He prayed all night long. When you and I encounter great decisions, is one of the first things to which we turn prayer? Or do we rest on our own wisdom, our own understanding, our own perspective or what the neighbor says Well, it might not be a bad idea to get the inside of others, but let's don't overlook prayer. One other example, in Matthew 27, 46, you remember how sweetly we have that description of that weighty decision that our Savior was facing, and yet He turned to prayer. As you and I think then about the weighty decisions we face, you'll notice the example of Paul. Now here was a health matter. I reserve that one to this point. Are there times that we face weighty issues concerning health? The doctors told me I have a serious health issue. Pray about it. Paul had a thorn in the flesh. What did he do? I besought the Lord three times for its removal. Again, as you and I trust the wisdom of doctors and medical professionals, let's never underestimate the great physician. And let's never overlook the opportunity that's ours as faithful children to turn our attention to Jesus and to God and to understand that even in those, we have the greatest appreciation of all. That example of Paul brings us to one more. Point number five. The last one of our lesson this morning, something about the Spirit, the attitude that should be characteristic of us as we pray. Now may I say, this one will lead directly to the remainders that will come in the lesson tonight. So make plans to be with us. But the Spirit in prayer. There are some things that are not to be a part of prayer. Jesus said so. In other words, these are issues, these are truths and attitudes that ought not ever be a part of your prayer life or mine. You'll notice in Matthew 6 verses 5 and following, Jesus on that occasion spoke about, don't ever be a person given in prayer to only want to hear your own voice. In other words, don't pray just so that you and everybody else can hear you. Pharisees were doing that. Oh, they loved to pray on the street corners so that everyone could appreciate how godly they were. If that's the reason for prayer, that's a terrible reason. Our prayer is petitioning the Heavenly Father. It's not simply for the glorification of me, or my voice, or my eloquence, or whatever else may be the case. Is it also true? In Luke twenty-two forty-four, we have an earnestness, a lack of hypocrisy. Jesus, it says, prayed earnestly. Does that characterize you and me, or do I just pray because I feel like a, someone thinks I should? Or do I pray simply again because I want somebody else to think I'm a godly person? Well, hopefully our life would always give that kind of an example. But that's not the pure reason for just praying. The challenge set before us in the Word of God brings us, Jesus said, don't ever let vain repetition slide into your prayer life either. I just always habitually pray for the same old thing. Sometimes maybe we have a tendency due to nervousness or otherwise. Have you ever thought about some of the prayers that on occasion may be often heard? Guard, guide, and direct us. Now that's a fine set of wordings. Let's always make sure we really do mean that. Let it never become just a habit to slide in those words. You can think of other examples perhaps in the same way. As you contemplate that, a vain repetition is one, again, which is just stated out of habit. It's just a ritual. This needs to be a part of prayer. Let's mean what we say as we approach God in prayer. Thoroughly mindful. I will pray with the Spirit, and I will pray with the understanding. 1 Corinthians 14, 15. One last thought, as you'll notice. Philippians 4, 6 tells us this. As you and I pray to God, may we always include a heavy dose of thanksgiving, expressing our heartfelt thanks in earnestness for all that God has done for us. He's been so good to each of us. Maybe that goodness leads us to close that slide and to come to a point of conclusion. Today we've looked at five attributes, five matters touching the prayer life of Jesus. One... Conviction in the reality of God. Two, a life of dedication that seeks to do the will of God. Three, commitment to prayer. May we be so devoted to that thought that in fact we make sure, even if we have to get up early, to make sure we pray. Fourthly, we highlighted in great decisions. Let's never forget to turn to the great physician, the master who can assist us. And fifthly and finally for this morning, an understanding that the spirit in prayer is not one of just habit, but rather it's a life manifesting the richness without vain repetition of those things that we truly want to approach God about. One of the things we'll develop is to think a bit tonight about who has the privilege of prayer? May I say, God hasn't given that privilege to everybody. If you're not a faithful child of God, you need to expect God to hear your prayers. If you're not a faithful child of God, the Bible holds out no hope for you in that regard. You need to become a Christian. You need to, in fact, render obedience to those commandments that have been given, believe in Jesus as the Son of God, repent of your sins, confess His name and be baptized, and then as a child of God, you have the promise of 1 Peter 3.12. But if you have done that, but haven't been faithful and true, and you've walked away, you've apostatized, come back to your first love. Don't you again want to enjoy the privilege of prayer? If you're a wayward child of God, come back to Him this morning. Beseech us to pray to God on your behalf. We'll be delighted to do that. And as we do, God will reinstate you upon your confession and repentance to a place of faithfulness. Today we've studied about prayer. We'll continue it tonight. If at this point there's anyone in the audience that would wish to render a public response to the gospel's invitation, we'd urge you to come and do it at once while together we stand and while we sing.